Amen. Go with me tonight, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. Stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, if you would. To the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's how we know it. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law, and how readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, and this is where the parable comes in, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving this certain man half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, and likewise a Levite. And he was at the place, and when he was at the place, he came and he looked on the certain man, but he also passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, the innkeeper, and said to the innkeeper, Take care of this man, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. And Jesus asks him the pointed question, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. And then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Verse 35, one more time. Let me just highlight the end of that verse. The good Samaritan said to the innkeeper, Take care of the man, and whatever you spend, more than what I've already paid you, more than what I've already put in your hand. When I come again, I will repay thee. My subject tonight is the comeback payback. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, Jesus. God, I feel your presence in this service. I believe that you have a word for us, oh God. And I pray that you'd minister in the way that only you can. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this evening. Have you ever lent somebody money? How did that go for you? Someone once wisely said that before you lend money to a friend, decide which one you need more. Because chances are you're going to lose one or the other. There have been times where I have lent money to somebody and I've not seen it come back to me. Nobody in the room, of course. And I have... I've just had to change the category in my mind from loan to gift, <laughs> you know, in an effort to not get bitter and all that, right? I just came to realize it's not coming back. Now, the Bible actually has a fair amount to say on the subject of loaning, in particular loaning money, and we're going to use some of these principles as a launching pad, so bear with me for a few moments. Moses actually addresses the issue, the subject in the Old Testament quite a bit. Essentially, the Israelites, they were not permitted to charge interest when they loaned money to an impoverished brother. This rule was part of the Mosaic Law, Exodus 22:25. 25 
says, if you lend money to any of my people who are in need, that's the qualifier, not just to any old, you know, any old person, but if there's a legitimate need and you lend to them, do not charge interest as a money lender would. But loaning without interest, there is a great blessing attached to that action, a great promise from God in the lives of God's people. The psalmist said things like this, Psalm 15, 5, those who lend money without charging interest, such people, the end of the verse, will stand firm forever. Moses repeats this principle in the book of Deuteronomy and applies it to commodities as well as money. Chapter 23, 19, do not charge interest on the loans you make to a fellow Israelite, whether you loan money or food or anything else, because profiting off of the plight of the poor, this is in reference to the poor, the needy, not just anybody, the needy, but profiting off the poor was against God's law. It would only make the rich richer and the poor poorer, thus exacerbating the problem, and so God commanded his people to loan to the needy without charging interest, not expecting to get any more back than what you gave to them. And furthermore, again, God promised a blessing on the gracious lender that would far surpass any interest that he might make. The next verse, verse 20, you may charge interest to foreigners, but you may not charge interest to the Israelites so that the Lord your God may bless you in everything that you do. There's a blessing attached to this behavior. There was also a provision in the Old Testament law that creditors and lenders, they were to cancel all debts at the end of every seven years. And everybody knew about this provision in the law. And no doubt there were some who were slightly more reluctant to lend money if they were, let's say, six and a half years into one of these seven-year cycles. Because they understood that regardless of the deal that was drawn up, when seven years hit, that debt was canceled. And so God, through Moses, even addresses this. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7. But if there are any poor Israelites in your towns... When you arrive in the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted and don't be tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous. Look at your neighbor and say, be generous. We're going to be taking up an offering at the end of service tonight. That's a joke. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Do not be mean-spirited and refuse someone alone because the year for canceling debts is close at hand. Watch this. If you refuse to make the loan and the needy person cries out to the Lord, then you will be considered guilty of sin. Serious stuff. And so here's the command. Verse 10, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. And here's the promise. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. Not just in the area that you gave to or gave of, but in everything God will bless your coming and your going and your life. Now that's the Old Testament, but in the New Testament it's much the same and in some ways more intense. Jesus repeated these same sorts of commands concerning lending money. Matthew 5.42, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. And as he often did, Jesus takes this Old Testament 
principle and command to another level for the New Testament believer. And he applies this principle not just to our brothers, not just to the needy even, but to our enemies in their time of need. Luke 6, 34. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. You're no you're no different really than, than any old person in the world when you lend expecting to receive again. So Jesus takes it another step and says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping to receive nothing again. Now let's just be honest for a moment. When you start loaning money without any hope of getting it back, that starts sounding less like a loan and more like a gift. Uh, you had to recategorize it in your mind, I guess. And Jesus takes it a step further and tells us to give. And to give without any expectation of recompense. To give without any expectation of recompense. And do it even to our enemies, no less. But again, there is a promise of blessing when we act in such ways. And your reward shall be great. And you shall be children of the highest. Now, I don't think Jesus is suggesting that we start a new line of banks where we have loans with not just 0% interest, but no repayment plan. You'd go out of business really quick. I don't think Jesus is suggesting that we go and, and sell all of our assets and take all the money and just start throwing it in the streets of downtown Fredericton. I don't, I don't think that, that that's what he's suggesting. I don't even think that he's suggesting that we give money to every, every person on, on the side of the road that we meet. That's wonderful. But I think sometimes we can feed unhealthy habits in doing so. And oftentimes meeting an actual need, giving a meal or clothing or shelter, that sometimes can help even more. I don't think Jesus is saying every time Somebody asks you for money, just, just go ahead and throw it around. But certainly when we feel a prompting, certainly when we feel led of the Spirit to, to give and to be benevolent and to pour out of ourselves into others, we, we ought to have the mindset of giving and, and not lending. Because a lending mindset is where a person always considers what I'm going to get in return from you before I act generously. That's lending. But Jesus said, you, you, you lend... But, but don't, don't expect to get anything back. That's really giving. The righteous were called to be givers. To give and to expect nothing in return from the one to whom you gave. Psalm chapter 37, 21. Psalmist said, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again. It's the will of God that you pay your debts. And everyone say, praise the Lord. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. And then... The psalmist is going to establish a contrast here. And he, he starts in the, in the latter half of the verse by saying, but the righteous show mercy. And you would think that the psalmist would say the opposite of borrowing. You'd think that the righteous would be lenders, but he doesn't say that. He says, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. Because for the righteous, the call is to be givers, not lenders. To be givers, to be benevolent, to, to be generous. To give and to expect nothing in return. And the reason is because God promises great blessing to those who give of themselves to others. God takes great joy in being the ones 
to pay and to come good on those indebted accounts that you have with other people. It's real quiet in here tonight. You really think I am taking up an offering, don't you? I want you to think beyond monetary means this evening. I'm talking about the account of your life. I'm talking about your time, your talent, and yes, your treasure. I'm talking about your skill set, your giftings, your charisma, whatever you can give and lend to the kingdom of God and pour into the lives of others. We are called to be givers, not lenders. We don't consider what we can get from other people. We give and we give and we're generous. That's what we're called to do. And if we'll do that, the promise is that our reward shall be great and we shall be children of the highest. There's a verse in Proverbs and, and, and really this is the message tonight, so please don't miss it. Solomon wrote and said that he that hath pity on the poor lendeth to the Lord and that which he hath given will he pay him again. This is the message. You ready? It's a powerful principle. And I believe it's what the Lord wanted to say tonight. It is that when you give to others, really, you're lending to the Lord. Can you say that with me? When you give to others, you're lending to the Lord. When you invest in the lives of people, when you empty of your life's account and put it on the account of another life. You might be giving and acting in benevolence toward them, but really, you're not just doing it to them. You're doing it to the Lord, and you have a loan going on with God. Which is why Jesus tells us to give without consideration of recompense. Because ultimately, you're loaning to God, and God refuses to be a debtor to any man. You will never have an account with God that He does not come good on, that He does not pay you back for. You can't outgive God. God will never be outdone or outgiven by you. He always gives it back and also in great, greater measure. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall the Lord give into your bosom. When you give to others, you are lending to the Lord. In Matthew 25, Jesus describes the final judgment when all the nations are gathered before him. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, we don't remember any of that. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or you thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the King Jesus will say, I tell you the truth, that when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were really doing it unto me. You thought you were giving to them, but really you were lending to the Lord. So come and inherit the kingdom. Come and receive the reward that I have for you. There is a blessing for your benevolence. Can I tell you tonight, 
that the God who keeps record and keeps track of every idle word and every idle deed that we do, can I tell you the God that has numbered the hairs on your head, can I just tell you that, that God keeps really good records? There's one habit that I have not yet picked up from my father. He tells me that when I was born 30 years ago, he started keeping a journal. He's done it every day, every day since that day. I haven't picked that up yet. That's really good records, but, but God keeps really good records of every way that you give to the kingdom, to people, and he always promises to pay us back for every indebted account. He takes that responsibility upon himself to pay us back for every way that we invested in the kingdom. In Acts chapter 10, we read about a certain man, a centurion named Cornelius, a devout man who feared God with all of his house. He gave much alms to the people and he prayed always to God. Verse 3 tells us that he saw evidently a vision Evidently, about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying, Cornelius. And when he looked on the angel, he was afraid. And he said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said to Cornelius, your prayers and your alms, they are come up for a memorial before God. This man was not a born-again believer at this point, but he feared God. And he prayed always to God. And he gave to the poor all the time. And the angel said that God's been keeping track of every time you bowed your knee to pray over your family, over your home, over your job, over your community. Every time you prayed seeking me, I took notice of it. I made a note. And every time that you gave in benevolence to the poor, to the needy in your community, I made a note of it. And they're indebted to you, but really... Really, I am indebted to you, and I am going to fill that account because when you give to others, when you pray for others, when you pray over your community, when you give your life for the kingdom, you're lending it to God, and God will not be indebted to you. He will reward you. Here's the point tonight. Jesus takes notice of your life and mine. Every time that we act in benevolence and generosity to those less fortunate or maybe to those who have more material resource, but they are spiritually bankrupt and they're lost. He takes note every time you pray for your neighborhood. He takes note of every time you speak an uplifting word of encouragement to somebody who's broken. Every generous gift, every kind gesture, he jots it down. He keeps immaculate records. And every time we make an investment in somebody else, Jesus said, even though they probably can't pay you back, I will. I will. That's why you give without consideration for recompense. Because if you consider recompense, if you consider what you're going to get back, there's going to be that little voice in the back of your mind that says, well, you really can't afford that. I'm not talking money only. You can't afford that time. You can't afford to go there and be with them. You can't afford that. And yes, money, you can't afford to do whatever. Give that gift. Buy that meal. That's the voice when you consider recompense. But Jesus said, don't consider it because I'll get you back for that. 
I'll pay the debt. I will recompense. It's the law of the harvest just said in another way. But be not deceived, brothers and sisters. God will not be mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I'm telling you tonight, when you give of your life to this lost world, you are lending to God and you will receive a reward. You will receive an inheritance. We don't just give to get, but can I tell you that God will not be a debtor and He will give back into your life blessing upon blessing, glory upon glory. In this life and in the next, God will not be indebted to any man. And so here's what I feel like the Lord wants to say to us tonight. God, is wanting each of us to start thinking how we can increase our giving capacity. Because it's through our increased giving capacity that we will experience the abundant blessings of God. Of our time. Of our skill set. Of our treasure. Because there is somebody in your world. Maybe somebody that you've been overlooking up to now. Maybe somebody that's beat down and broken and left half dead on the side of the road. And they're in your world. And you've, you've told yourself, well, I don't have time. I can't afford that. But if we will increase our giving capacity, God said, I'll pay you back. So let's go to the parable, and, and this is where we'll close tonight. And we'll just break it down. We'll walk through it. If you're in Luke chapter 10, or if you're not, go ahead and get to Luke chapter 10 again. Because there's some certain man in your world, some certain woman in your world that needs what you've got. And so behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempted the master, and asked him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is not a lawyer in a judicial or legal system sense, but rather an expert in religious laws. And, and he, like the Pharisees often did, is trying to trap Jesus with a difficult question, to which I say, You've picked a fight with the wrong person. And so he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And he quotes a part of the Shema. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, very good. Do this. You will live. And then he, willing to justify himself, said to Jesus, okay, well then who is my neighbor? Now, the religious elite at the time, they were really good at loving and favoring each other and giving preferential treatment to each other. And they smugly felt that they were upholding this commandment to love their neighbor as themselves when, when they gave this treatment to each other. They felt that they were justified in discriminating against certain types of people or those who were the enemies of God. And in an effort to justify this lifestyle, this religious elite asked Jesus about the extent of the command to love thy neighbor. To whom does this apply? Who do I have to love, Jesus? And Jesus gives us the parable that we know as the parable of the Good Samaritan. And there are many big themes and symbols that we will, that with a little bit of study we can understand. And it's a beautiful, powerful story, not just of this certain man and this good Samaritan man, but, but it's really our story. Because verse 30, as Jesus begins, he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
Everyone say a certain man. The exact identity of this man is left vague because he is meant to represent any man, any person. In fact, he is intended to represent every man. He represents anyone who is a descendant of Adam. Everyone say, that's me. In Hebrew, the word Adam, it's Adam, and it, it simply means man or mankind. We use Adam or Adam as his proper name, but it is really a generic word. Man, mankind. And Adam represents all of us because we came from Adam. And of course, Adam and Eve led mankind down a path of sin and death to where now we are all born with a sinful nature. As Paul said in Romans 5, wherefore as by one man, Adam, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death, it passed upon all men and it made it as if all of us had sinned. All of us. And the fall of mankind that we see in the garden, it is illustrated to us in the very next phrase of the parable how this certain man, this every man, mankind, they went, he went down from Jerusalem to a place called Jericho. Jerusalem, of course, is the holy city situated high upon a mountain. Jericho, on the other hand, is situated literally at the lowest point on planet earth. 250 meters below sea level. You can't get anywhere lower than Jericho. Talk about a fall from glory. The journey from the holy city to this low point in the parable symbolizes the descent of man into sinful oblivion. Jerusalem, symbolic of paradise, symbolic of the Garden of Eden, and, and ultimately symbolic of having communion in God's presence. But Jericho, it represents the world and all of its systems. And this fall was not done all by the hand of man, but it was aided by sinister evil forces. And Jesus goes on to say in that same verse that this certain man, he fell among thieves, and they stripped him of his raiment, and they wounded him, and they left, and they departed, leaving him half dead. This was a treacherous road. Not only did it have the rapid decline, but it had steep banks on its edge as it wound down the hillside. Plenty of places for thieves and robbers to hide and implement their attacks just off the roadway. And this certain man fell among these thieves. They stripped him, they wounded him, and they left him half dead. Satan, in the form of a serpent in the garden, implemented a strategic attack. The thief who comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's exactly what he aimed to do in the garden. And as he tempted Eve, and ultimately Adam disobeyed and ate the fruit as well. In the temptation of the serpent, the devil stripped mankind of their righteous garments, inflicted the wound of mortality and sin. And just like this certain man was left half dead, that is the case for mankind as well. We are all living beings, but we are born in a state of spiritual death. We are physically alive, but spiritually we are born dead, or half dead, you might say. You see, this is not just the story of a certain man. This is our story. This is the story of mankind. In verse 31, by chance there came down 
a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32, and likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, he came and he was a bit more inquisitive. He looked at him, but he passed on the other side. They passed on the other side. This certain man was perceived as an inconvenience or a nuisance to their already busy day and schedule. And these two individuals, the priest and the Levite, they represent the Old Testament law and prophets. The Old Testament law and the worship rituals of ancient Israel could not and did not help the human race in their half-dead state. Because every animal sacrifice did nothing ultimately to solve the sin issue. The sinful state of mankind. Even the prophets with every word from God that they heralded to the people, they really couldn't help. All they could do was point ahead to a greater hope, to something better that would someday come, but by themselves, likewise, they could not help humanity. But thank God the parable goes on. Jesus said, but a certain Samaritan. Do you know who he is today? A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where this certain man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. We understand tonight that this Samaritan in this story is a representation of Jesus. Jesus knew what he was doing when he likened himself to the Samaritan. In fact, people had at times used this title as an insult or a slur against Jesus, like in John 8. Being a Samaritan, it meant that you were a half-breed. A half-breed. Samaritans, they were only half-Jewish, which caused many full Jews to discriminate against them. And a Samaritan was the perfect symbol because a Samaritan was Jewish, but also non-Jewish. And similarly, Jesus was the God-man. Fully God, but also fully man. It's the dual nature of Christ embodied in this Samaritan man. And that's who comes into this story. This certain Samaritan man. He comes to where this other man was. He came to him when the certain man could not make it to the Samaritan. Aren't you thankful tonight that, that Jesus took the first step toward us when he came to this earth, when God robed himself in flesh, when we were helpless, when we could do nothing to save ourselves or to dig ourselves out of the sinful pit of despair that we were in, when we, when we were helpless and could not get up from our heap of hopelessness, that's when Jesus came into this world in due season, born of a virgin, and he came near to us when we couldn't make our way to him. That's who Jesus is today. And that's who he can be for you because it's not just a story from 2,000 years ago. Jesus is drawing near to us tonight by his spirit, by his presence. That's who he is. Paul said that he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. This is the great condescension coming down to this earth from heaven's glory. But not only did he come to earth, 
he, he condescended even further and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When we could not make it to help, help came to where we were. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says that the Samaritan had compassion on him. Music, come join me. I'm wrapping up soon. The Samaritan had compassion on him, which speaks of the pure love of Christ. What was it that motivated the God of all creation to come to this earth? To live as a man, spotless, sinless, to be tempted in all points like as we were yet without sin. What would cause a God like that to come and not only robe himself in flesh, but to die a brutal death on a, on a cross, shedding his blood for the sins of man? He didn't have to do it. We don't know why he did it, but... We're grateful that he made a way. The motive, simply put, was love. His compassion on lost humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was love that drove him to that cross, that brought him near to us in our state of hopelessness. He went to him, the Bible says, he bound up his wounds, and he poured in oil and wine. You see, unlike the priest and the Levite, it seems that the Samaritan came looking for somebody in need to help. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I mean, this guy's traveling with bandages and oil and wine. I mean, why else would you travel with such commodities unless you were looking for somebody to minister to, looking for somebody to help? He was on a journey to bind up the broken. And he did it by pouring in oil and wine. And we know what the oil and the wine represent. The way that the Samaritan was able to help humanity, or help the certain man rather, was by pouring in the oil and the wine into his wounds. Let me tell you, Jesus gave us a promise that we would be endued with power from on high. We would receive power after that the Holy Ghost would come upon us. He promised us that He would not leave us comfortless, but that He would come to us by the power of His Spirit. That good Samaritan poured oil and wine upon a wounded man and in so doing brought healing and strength. And can I tell you that Jesus bound up our wounds by pouring out oil and wine himself, by pouring out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And only by his spirit and only by the shed blood of Calvary are we restored and are we redeemed and can we have our wounds bound up. And as we just walk a few more steps in the story, the Good Samaritan, he didn't just help the man and then leave him where he found him, but the Bible says that he set him on his own beast and he brought him to an inn and there he took care of him. Can I tell you what the inn represents? The inn is representative of the church. The church is something that Jesus instituted for the care and the growth of his people that he has redeemed. I'm thankful that the Good Samaritan didn't just leave the man alone on the side of the road that day to fend for himself. Oh no, friend, the good Samaritan, he planted him in a place where the man could find strength and be nurtured back to a place of health and strength. Thank you, Jesus.
Can I tell you that when you obey the gospel, when you find new life in Jesus, he does not leave you alone to be a lone ranger Christian, isolated on the side of the road to fend for yourself. But he plants you in his church. Everyone say the church. Are you thankful for the body of Christ tonight? Are you thankful for the church of the living God tonight? We stepped our foot through the door when we obeyed the gospel. But I'm thankful that we get to serve God together. I'm thankful for the church where we can bear one another's burdens. And when one falls, we can link arms and pull each other up. We can cover a transgression and restore a brother. We are able to do that as the church. Took them to the end. Can I tell you, you need the church. You can't make it without the church. You need a pastor to preach to you. You need a watchman on the wall. You need a shepherd that watches for your soul. You need the church. Sometimes when you're sick, you need to make your way to the sanctuary of God and call on the elders of the church to anoint you with oil and pray the prayer of faith that will save the sick. You need the church. You need the wisdom of the elders. You need the strength of the young. You need the church. You need the family of God to make it. The story concludes in verse 35. And on the morrow, the good Samaritan departed. And he took out two pence and he gave them to the host or the innkeeper. And he said to him, you take care of him. I've done what I can do. Now it's your turn to do what you can do. Take care of him. And just like the Samaritan Jesus, he did not remain with us, but he ascended up on high on the Mount of Olives. And in his physical absence, he has left us in the care of the host of the inn, or we would say the ministry of God's church. Our pastor church leadership, and really anybody that is willing to serve. As we read this parable, the truth is that we can see ourselves pretty much in every character. We see ourselves certainly in the certain man. Because again, as I've said, we are all born into this human family broken by sin, left half dead by our adversary, the thief. We can see ourselves there. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Good Samaritan, but, but we too are to be like this man, caring for the needs of our hurting world, ministering to those who are broken. If we aren't careful and we become too religious, we can be like the priest and the Levite, too busy to have their day interrupted by those in need of saving. But one character that we also can see ourselves in, and this is what I want to leave you with tonight, we ought to see ourselves in the host or the innkeeper in the story. You know, it's not only our pastor or the church ministry team, but Paul said we are all able ministers of the New Testament. Everyone in the church is to be a minister. Because to minister simply means that we have been empowered by God to serve. To minister or to be a minister is to be a servant we are empowered by God to serve the needs of others around us. We are really like that innkeeper. 
I don't believe he is just symbolic of one man or just a group of, of pastors on a pastoral staff. But that host is all of us. Every minister, every member in the body of Christ. And to the host, the good Samaritan, Jesus, he gives him a command accompanied by a promise. He said, take care of him. Take care of the certain man. Which man? Any man. Every man. Take care of the needs of this lost world. Those that are coming into the family of God. Take care of him. And, and whatever you spend more, I, I, I'll bless you. I've given you something to get you started. But whatever you spend of your own, whatever you pour into the life of this man from the life from the account of your own life, whatever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay thee. It's the great comeback payback. Because just like the Good Samaritan, Jesus promises us that although he went away, he is coming again. Jesus is coming soon. And he said, when I come, I'm going to settle every account. And you thought that you were giving to the point where it almost hurt, but can I tell you, it's going to be worth it all when he pays us back, when he gives us the, our crowns of glory. I know we're going to cast them at his feet, but I'm coming soon and I will repay thee. Let me remind you what the Bible says. Acts 1.11 the angel said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. Paul said, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Anybody still get excited about Jesus coming for his bride with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then which we which are alive and remain, we shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Stand together with me tonight. Jesus, our good Samaritan, the one who bound up our wounds and planted us on solid footing here in his church. He is coming back again. But he is not coming back empty-handed. Whatever you have spent your life investing in for the kingdom, I will repay. John the Revelator said in Revelation twenty-two twelve, and behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. It's the great comeback payback, ladies and gentlemen. It's a day you don't want to miss. And in the meantime, I don't want to be living with a lending mentality saying, well, I don't know that I can afford that. I don't know that I can afford to invest in the kingdom that way. I'm not sure that I can afford the time for that person or that family or that Bible study or those services. I'm not sure that I can afford that. 
Because if I live that way, I am limiting the ways that God can bless my life as I increase my giving capacity. As I give to them, I'm lending to God. I am increasing my capacity for God's blessing in this life and in the life to come. Thank you, Jesus. Let me leave you with one more verse. Colossians chapter 3. Paul said, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily. But do it as unto the Lord and not unto man. Because we have to have the understanding that although we may be doing it unto man in the physical, spiritually, we are doing it to the Lord. Whatever you do, do it heartily. As you give to them, realize you're lending to the Lord. And know this, verse 24, there's just some things you got to know. you got to know that of the Lord. You shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you really are serving the Lord Christ. And so where the enemy would want to come in and trick you and rob you of the chance for God to bless you, don't live under the assumption that you can't afford to spend your life for other people. That's why we're here. But as we give to them, we lend to him. and He will not be a debtor to any man. Can you lift your hands tonight with me? Oh, I feel his presence here tonight. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Who will respond to the call tonight to increase your giving capacity? It's not just your pocketbook tonight. It's your calendar, too. It's the skills that God has intrinsically placed in your being, in your life. God is wondering, can you use that skill set, not just in the marketplace, but can you use it in the kingdom? Can you use it to impact the kingdom? Lift your voice for just a moment. Can we just not rush through this moment? Can we allow the Spirit of God to just flow and seal the Word tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, just lift your voice for a moment here. Pray in the Holy Ghost for a moment right here, right now. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Come on, there's revelation in his house tonight. There's revelation from God's word tonight. I believe it. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Any spot in this sanctuary can be your personal altar, but with keeping in mind the requirement to be distanced. I want to open this altar like we did this morning. And there's an opportunity to just pray this evening and to say, God, I want to do that. I want to, I want to increase my giving capacity. When we give to them, we lend to the Lord. As they begin to sing, can you just 
Step out of your seat if you would desire to come forward. If not, just lift your hands where you are. Can you make that place where you are at least a place of consecration, a place of prayer, an altar before the Lord?